Hello everyone, welcome to Campaign HQ. Today we're going to go deep in the critical state of Arizona. I'm sure all of you listening who don't live in Arizona become more familiar with the state because of the close Senate races in 2018 and 2020, and of course, the pivotal Biden-Trump matchup in Arizona, uh, which uh, caused Trump to melt down on election night, but was an important part of Joe Biden's electoral college majority. Arizona now uh, is an absolute battleground state and probably will remain that way for some time. So we're going to go deep in Arizona. You probably saw uh, many of you just this past Friday, there was a, a state court ruling It upheld a law from the 1800s when Arizona wasn't even a state but a territory, so it was a territorial law that outlawed all abortions in the state except for very narrow exceptions, um, which clearly, most importantly, is a tragic uh, outcome for women in Arizona and families in Arizona, but but also clearly going to be an important political dynamic here in the closing weeks. So we're going to start with a conversation with Yvonne Winjet-Sanchez. Uh, who's been a longtime political reporter in Arizona. She covered politics for the Arizona Republic, and now she's writing about politics and voting issues for the Washington Post, the Post clearly seeing how critical Arizona is to our national uh, debate. Uh, she's covered politics in Arizona for a couple of decades, so she understands the state uh, from, from north to south, east to west. Uh, she spent a lot of time obviously covering uh, the aftermath of the 2020 election and the efforts by Republicans uh, to overturn the election. Um, she's moderated uh, Senate debates uh, and she knows uh, state politics there very well. So we're going to get an overview of all the races in Arizona uh, with Yvonne. And then we're going to be joined by Emma Brown, who's running Senator Mark Kelly's re-election campaign. Uh, Emma is a uh, a young but experienced operative. She she got her start organizing outside of uh, Cleveland uh, in Ohio. She's run campaigns in Virginia, New Jersey. Uh, she was the deputy campaign manager in 2020 in Arizona, and now she's running the re-elect. So we're going to go deep into uh, her race specifically, uh, what we're seeing in the Kelly Masters uh, race, uh, and what she's focused on here in the closing weeks of just a pivotal Senate campaign. So I uh, really hope you enjoy this conversation about the state of Arizona. Yvonne Winjet Sanchez, welcome to Campaign HQ. We're thrilled to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, you've covered in, uh, Arizona and you know Arizona from uh, north to west and uh, <laughs> east to south. I'm curious, though, if, if you wouldn't mind just giving everybody an overview of the races. I mean, I think a lot of people know you've got a big Senate race and a huge governor's race, but you also have competitive House races. You've got Secretary of State's race. Kind of what are you following most closely these days? The biggest action this year seems to be with the statewide races. Mm -hmm. So the uh, U.S. Senate race, although that seems to be a done deal, um, the race for uh, governor, the race for secretary of state, and the race for attorney general. We also have uh, a bunch of state house races that are Mm -hmm. typically, you know, less watched, less sexy. But this year they really have uh, the potential to either go more extreme or uh, moderate and maybe even um, democratic in the Senate. So I'm trying to really sort of um, monitor all of these things and make sense, uh, make sense of them. Well, and that would be a big change. I mean, big ifs, but if uh, Hobbs is able to defeat Lake and if the Democrats are able to take over, let's say one, uh, you know, chairman of the legislature, huge change from where things are today, which is a Republican trifecta. 
Yeah. And it's the fact that we are in this situation is uh, monumental and really sort of speaks to what's happening on the ground. I mean, we have Republicans who, for the first time in their lives, are talking about voting for a Democrat. Um, and, And not just one Democrat, but like Democrats down ballot. They are really sizing up Katie Hobbs. She's not really what they would want, but a lot of them view her as far less dangerous than Carrie Lake. That being said, she's really softening her tone. She seems to be in her meetings with um, business groups and more establishment Republicans. She's trying to uh, be speaking to them in a way that perhaps she didn't during the primary campaign. And that race is a real toss-up. And, and that's that's the one that uh, I think everyone is is so closely watching. It will determine so much uh, here in Arizona for the next four years. Right. So I want to I want to dive into those races and what's happening on the ground. Now you have an interesting perspective though, because you've you've covered politics and government in Arizona for a couple of decades. Um, you know, Arizona not too long ago was a consistently red state. Now it's turned into a purple state. Democrats have won the last two Senate races. Biden won the Electoral College votes there. Just talk about why that is for people. Like what's changed over your period of, of closely observing Arizona politics? So 10 years ago, a lot of the debate was around illegal immigration. It was led by Joe mm-hmm. Arpaio, the former Maricopa County Sheriff. It was led by Russell Pierce, the former Senate president, who passed a very tough law, the toughest in the nation at the time, to crack down on illegal immigration. That debate sort of gave way to a more moderate stance. Um, Around this time, we had Doug Ducey, uh, a businessman, uh, executive of an ice cream company, elected as governor, and he really tried to help reset the tone. Successfully, perhaps for, for many years, But then we saw the rise of Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. and he was flying in and out during his first presidential campaign. He was here a lot. His surrogates were here a lot. And with his election, we also saw the rise of uh, Kelly Ward. She is the chair of the state Republican Party who unsuccessfully primaried John McCain. And um, she really was able to capture the energy, that MAGA energy and the libertarian energy and the conservative energy on the ground and speak to the grassroots base and to people who traditionally maybe haven't been involved in a way that no one else was doing. John McCain was back in Washington. Then he passed in 2018. Doug Ducey has no desire to be involved in party politics. And so... It empowered these people, I think. Uh, Trump empowered them. And Mm -hmm. left to their own devices, they were able to get a lot done. They recruited a lot of precinct committee people. They uh, uh, were able to get their messages out um, in a way that was relatable. You had the pandemic. You had a lot of people feel as though they were locked up. They had lost uh, their lives. And uh, Kelly Ward and other Republicans here were speaking to, to them in a way that nobody else was. Not even Martha McSally, who for a time was in was in the U.S. Senate. Right. Um, and so we are now at this moment where we are either going to go the direction of the election deniers, we're going to go far right, or we're going to choose uh, statewide uh, officers in a way that we haven't done for a really long time. That's going right. to be the big test. So, so sort of breaking that down, it would seem like the, you know, the Lakes and the Kelly Wards and the Trumps 
you know, to Blake Masters, it seems like, you know, maybe 80% of Republicans are going along with that. But then there's this big group, you know, particularly in Maricopa County suburbs who are conflicted, right? They don't love the Democratic Party, but this kind of drive to crazy land is too much for them. I'm curious, part of that is is obviously abortion. And you had a big decision in the state on Friday, uh, uh, basically allowing a law from, I believe, the 1850s or something, a territorial law well before Arizona was a state that outlaws just about every abortion except for super rare instances. Obviously, there's huge substantive, uh, you know, things we need to pay attention here in terms of the danger. This is going to put a lot of women in the state. I assume this is really royal, the politics, though, in the state. Is, is that right? It has. And everyone's still trying to get their messaging right on this. We have a lot of people who still just haven't commented. They don't know what to say. And they've sort of mm. boxed themselves in during the primary on the Republican side in mm. a way that is really tough to come back from. What's going to be most interesting to watch on that front is these independent men and women, mostly women, but men too, um, and moderate Republicans who who just feel like you know, clearly they're pro-choice, but you're taking away a right that has been there for so many decades. And is this uh, signaling perhaps a broader movement to deny rights to people, to let people maintain their own free will? And uh, I think it's going to play a decisive uh, role in all of these elections, particularly when you're talking about the prosecutorial offices, mm -hmm. you're talking about the attorney general's race, you're talking right. about the county attorney races. Uh, I think we're going to see, um, uh, you know, definite impact there. Mark Kelly on the Democratic U.S. Senate ticket. I mean, he's been pretty clear from day one. So has Katie Hobbs in the in the governor's race. Um, it's, it's just going to come down to how these Republicans start messaging this and start reaching uh, these independents. It's going to be hard to do, though, on this issue, right? Because as your point, I know Blake Masters has tried to erase his past on this on his website, but it's hard. So you mentioned in the opening that that some folks consider the Senate race done. I'm going to be talking to to Emma Brown, Mark Kelly's manager, after I talk to you. I'm sure she'll dispute that, as any good campaign manager would do. But talk about that. I mean, I guess the Senate race is seen as less competitive than the governor's race. And I'm interested because, you know, is it because... You know, you mentioned Carrie Lake's trying to moderate a little bit. She's also well-known, right? She's a statewide media personality. Masters kind of comes out of nowhere with the Peter Thiel money. Why, why, the dis, why the divergence in those two races as you see it? Mark Kelly has uh, a unique biography. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's an astronaut. He's <laughs> married to Gabby Giffords. Right. He has cast himself as... Um, to use a McCain term, a maverick. Um, perhaps his voting record doesn't really reflect uh, that sort of independence that that he's trying to to sell again to voters. But his profile is just so well established. People um, immediately recognize him as the man who stood by his wife after mm -hmm. she, you know, was gravely injured and gravely ill. The Chuck Schumer, you know, in bed with Chuck Schumer line doesn't really resonate to people here in Arizona who are 2,000 miles away from Capitol right. Hill and are not consuming these things in a way that the political chattering class is. And um, I just think his biography is is so unique. Masters did come out of nowhere. I mean, he thought mm -hmm. about challenging Martha McSally in um, the 2020 race, ultimately ruled it out, and then burst onto the scene in uh, 21, and no one really knew who he was. During the primary, he did a, a pretty good job, I think, of speaking to 
to people in a way that made them feel as though he wasn't really beholden to anybody. Mm -hmm. He's a fresh face, young voice. He understands right. the tech world. He can tell you how to get your kids off of their iPads and their devices, <laughs> and he can change the algorithms. And before elections, he can set up, you know, these investigative committees and make sure that the big tech companies aren't, you know, trying to rig the vote. But that doesn't really translate in a general where mm -hmm. you have 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 cast yourself as such an extreme candidate. And he's going to have a tough time, I think, coming back from that. I suspect Emma is taking nothing um, for right. granted. Uh, and uh, But this race, I think, to everyone, seems like it's a pretty done deal. Interesting. By the way, I'm going to get in trouble with Mark Kelly and Emma, but... Uh, you know, as you think of now, listen, Joe Biden it says he's going to run for uh, re-election. If so, he's not going to have a serious primary, in my view. But if he doesn't, I've got to think people are going to start talking to Mark Kelly, <laughs> just given his biography and story. Really? Uh, I, you know, listen, my view of, t of, of politics today is, uh, you know, talent and meeting the moment and timing. And I just think he's an interesting candidate, potentially, when you take a broader view than just the usual suspects. Anyway, I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. They're just focused on winning this election. But but Carrie Lake is probably doing better. Now, probably people in Arizona are not surprised. I think people outside of Arizona are surprised how competitive that race is. And is that because she does have this relationship with voters that sort of has is lengthy and sort of transcends politics in a way, or is it really just Kelly is so strong? Not that Hobbs isn't, but she, you know, she's Secretary of State. People don't know her as well. I think part of this is Carrie Lake's um, career, TV career. I think I think that that's a lot of it, and I also think that she did so well during the primary because she was a fighter. You know, she mm -hmm. was really taking it to the people. You go to her rallies, you go to her events. She is able to speak to people in in a way that is even like more sophisticated, I think, than Trump is mm -hmm. able to. She can connect with them, she, you know, straight to camera and make you feel like she is speaking to you. And I think that's why she has had so much success. By contrast, um, most people either don't know Katie Hobbs at all. Right. Or maybe they know her from her many appearances on um, MSNBC during the uh, ballot review here in Maricopa County, where she talked a lot about democracy and she was really highlighting the extremist elements within the Republican Party. And maybe they know her as like a longtime state lawmaker who, you know, uh, pushed for pretty mainstream liberal policies. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's a reason why she's not getting on that debate stage with Carrie Lake. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that speaks volumes to sort of where her head is at um, in this race and where Carrie Lake's head is at. I mean, it's very clear just watching their body language that Katie Hobbs probably feels pretty confident. I don't know that she should feel too great. And right. Carrie Lake knows that she needs to make serious inroads um, with right. some of these independents and she needs an opportunity to uh, maybe deliver a softer message. Yeah. Well, it sounds, I mean, I assume that the abortion um, issue generally, but then this recent uh, judicial opinion in Arizona specifically, in the governor's race and some of these state house races you talked about, is really going to drive a lot of the debate over the next, which is not great for Lake, obviously, right? Right. And yeah. when you go out to these suburbs and you're talking to voters, even members of the LDS church, they are concerned about their children. Mm -hmm. They are concerned about what this might mean for their sons who might get themselves into a situation 
What does this mean for their daughters? How do you reconcile taking away something that has been there for a really long time? And that's what what um, I think both of them really need to to hone in on, certainly Carrie Lake. So, Yvonne, uh, one of the interesting about Arizona, uh, be, you know, in part because it's not been a core national battleground state until very recently. I think a lot of people around the country uh, don't have the same, you know, you think about Ohio, Florida, these states that always are. People know, you know, the Columbus suburban vote in Cleveland, you know, reports late. There's less about Arizona. I think there's a view that, okay, it's got, you know, Phoenix, big suburbs, you know, you have a high Latino population. But the thing about Arizona, it's just a remarkably diverse state. I mean, you've got obviously exurbs, you've got rural, you've got, you know, Maricopa supplies well over half the vote. You know, we don't have any other state like that. You've got, you know, tribal reservations, you've got massive colleges. Just talk, you know, kind of, you know, get people smart about Arizona because it's the politics there are complicated because you've got to do a bunch of things well to win a statewide election these days. You have to do everything well, and I think you just you you really hit on the key constituencies. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to do everything well. I think we've had one candidate over the last eight years or so who was able to win all the rurals, lose Maricopa, and still win, and that was a lesson for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Kelly, Joe Biden, um, Kirsten Cinema, they their path really has been to just kill it in Maricopa County. Mm-hmm. That's why they have been able to 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 win. Appeal to those um, moderate Republicans. Appeal to those independent voters. Cast yourself as someone um, who is, uh, much like Arizona's history, like willing to kind of get into that sort of libertarian sort of uh, streak. Kill it with Latinos. We have a huge Latino population, growing Latino population, Republicans made gains in 2020 with Republicans, particularly men, uh, mm-hmm. Hispanic men. Key, that's a really key constituency. I mean, you know, they need to be up on Spanish TV, which they are, Spanish radio, meeting them at the rodeos in more rural areas of the state, um, talking to them on uh, outside of college campuses. The community colleges are huge. Mm-hmm. Um, really engaging in, in a way that, uh, is where the people are. Um, they, all the candidates, you know, they'll do the the northern tours to go visit the tribes, key constituency there, way up Lake Havasu, Kingman. Uh, you need to be speaking to those people there. Democrats uh, have uh, that's tough area, very Republican, but they're trying to speak to everyone. And I think uh, whoever is successful will have done a really good job of of doing all of it. That's kind of the Arizona version of the villages in Florida, right? That that region. A lot of retirees, more conservative, but you know, you got to fight for votes everywhere. So when you talk to either the candidates themselves running this time or the operatives behind the scenes in the Republican races, are they expressing confidence that they're going to continue to grow their vote share with Hispanic men? On the Republican side, yeah. Yeah. They are. Yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. the evangelicals and the people mm-hmm. who have not been involved in a way um, you know, consistently over the past um, couple cycles. There's a lot of efforts to, I think, reach people now in Spanish. Um, and it might seem like they should have been doing that for a really long time, but I don't think anyone up until recently has has really been doing it well. And yeah. they're emphasizing, they really are emphasizing all of it. I mean, th- there's really no way around it. I do think one interesting element here. Um, probably perhaps like Florida, is you have so many gated communities, which pose 
barriers for some of these candidates to go door to door and to meet them and you know their teams to go door to door. So it'll be interesting to see how they um, how they navigate that this year. Twenty twenty was um, sort of an aberration with COVID and prevented a lot of people from going door to door. But there's a real big push to try to meet people on their doorsteps. Yeah, it's such a fascinating observation that is a barrier. You know, in some places in the country, uh, you know, it's higher rise buildings where it's tough to get access here. It's gated uh, communities. No, I think this is important because, you know, Kelly, I think got 70 percent or right around there with a Latino vote uh, in, in 20. Biden did a little uh, lower than that, but in that area. Could. But if those numbers were to drop to 60, let's say, uh, you know, that that could definitely make the difference in a in a close race. Absolutely. And I think all of us are prepared for no matter what happens, uh, some of these candidates to claim um, fraud and to claim that the vote was somehow rigged. So I think we're sort of in it for the long haul. And um, some of us don't expect everything to be settled until uh, perhaps 2023. Well, if you, let's say it's a Democrat's dream night. And and by the way, not that night. So it's going to take a few days to count the vote. But when the votes counted in Arizona, let's say Democrat dream scenario. I'm not going to say this is going to happen, but Kelly's ahead. Hobbs is ahead. Uh, you know, Democrats win the Secretary of State race. Fincham loses. Will Masters, Lake, and Fincham all say the election was stolen from them? I can't answer that question. Right. I so they, they've not spoke. They've not said. They've not done the Trump thing, predicting ahead of time, saying, "Well, if I don't win, it's clearly rigged." Mm, Blake Masters has done a little bit of it. Uh-huh. He, he's talked about that on the campaign uh-huh. trail. I, I did hear him once recount a conversation he had with his dad, where you know he sort of told his dad, like, there's just absolutely no way that that I will lose. And if I do, then it was not fair. Um, I think all of the candidates have set the stage for a long, drawn out, dramatic appeal uh, or process should they should they lose. And talk a little bit about if Fincham wins the Secretary of State's race. I mean, what should people think about as it relates to 2024 in terms of, you know, Arizona could be the most important state or one of the top three in the presidential race. What uh, what do we have waiting for us uh, if Fincham is the is the secretary of state overseeing that election? Well, he has vowed to make um, election integrity, air quotes, um, the most important element of that position. So what does that mean? He's talked about cleaning up voter rolls. Does that mean voters get purged? Who mm-hmm. should stay on the rolls? Um, does he engage the state legislature uh, in a way that um, changes the rules, fundamentally mm-hmm. upends the way uh, Arizonans vote? Um, right. Do you try? Do they try to get rid of early voting, a popular method used by about 80% of voters, something Carrie Lake has certainly been pushing? Do you get rid of the machines? Again, something they have been pushing. Um, do you go back and somehow try to relitigate the results of the 2020 election. All of them have claimed it wasn't fair. There's no mechanism to somehow reinstate Trump in office, obviously. But do you message that in a legislative way? Right. What else is on their minds as as we approach 2024? You know, do you run bills that try to overrule overrule the uh, the will of the voters uh, with the electoral college? I mean, these are all things that uh, are going to be hugely consequential. Um, there's things that we haven't even thought of, I'm sure, that 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 they're already working on that that will be hugely consequential. For sure. Well, just listening to you talk, I mean, for, for folks around the country, my audience is, you know, 
got some Republicans, independents, but probably mostly Democrats. Just obviously there's a lot of focus on the Senate race and you've got competitive House races uh, for the for the Congress. But the state legislature, the secretary of state race, governor's races could not be more important, not just in Arizona, but but to the country. So uh, just a couple uh, last questions. You've been very generous with your time. You do have some competitive U.S. House races. Any uh, any of those you're following most carefully? Any insight on those? You've got Schweikert, right, who won a very close primary. Yes, although yeah. I, I do think the conventional wisdom with that race is that he's probably pretty safe. Um, mm-hmm. We have Tom O'Halloran, who is mm-hmm. um, perhaps the most vulnerable here in Arizona, has been vulnerable for, for some time. But I have to admit, I am way more closely following the statewide and the right. state legislative races. Right. It does seem post-Trump, so much has so much of the politics, at least here in Arizona, have become very, very local. And yeah. that's where the action is really going to be. Right. So I'm curious, um, you know, you've you've had some storied figures that you've covered and worked with through the years. John McCain, uh, you know, you mentioned Ducey, Janet Napolitano. Um, and, you know, in Arizona, I'm sure when you were at the Republic, uh, certainly uh, and now at the Post, you know, part of running for office is you talk to reporters and you try and get your story out. You you. You, you know, talk to reporters about attacks from your opponent. Are What is going on right now with particularly Masters in Lake? Are they engaging with the media? Are they ignoring the media? How are they prosecuting their race? Lake is taking it to the media. She okay. is uh, turning. So she'll the- talk to them and attack them. Is that the deal? That's okay. absolutely real. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. when you show up to a, a Carrie Lake um, press conference or, or event, um, you know, all the questions are disputed. The premises of the questions are 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 disputed. She is engaging in a way that is um, really interesting. Uh, I, recently, she uh, a reporter from a local TV station asked her a question. She didn't like it, and she said, "Look, your audience is like paltry. You got two thousand people watching your ten p.m. nightcast. I don't have to answer to you." That's sort of the um, the tact that she's taking. I think Blake Masters. Um, has 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 engaged maybe more traditionally uh, than Carrie Lake has. I I haven't had any issues, uh, you know, speaking with him or talking to him or or trying to get um, answers from from his team. More recently, I'm just so much more focused on like the broader issues and democracy and right. less um, the horse race of all of it. Um, but certainly, Carrie Lake is um, teaching a new generation how to uh, how to sell yourself. So uh, let me end with with where you are spending a lot of your time now, um, which is the question of democracy, uh, both in the state of Arizona, which is kind of in many respects ground zero for this uh, debate, but also nationally. How concerned should people be about democracy? I think that it's something that a lot of people, most people who I speak to, casual voters, casual observers of all of this, are thinking about. And it might not be like the number one issue that they're worried about. You know, they're worried about the rent. They're worried about learning loss for their kids. They're worried about fentanyl um, coming across the border and killing their kids. It's happening here um, almost every day. But when you delve more deeply into how they view the world and the issues that they're really cared about, they are worried about democracy. They are worried about their school boards. They're worried about what's happening inside of their kids, you know, classrooms. Um, They are worried about major issues like abortion and 
will their child, will their family member have a choice? Will there be options on the table? Mm -hmm. And so it might not, again, come across like in the, in the polling as like a top issue. But fundamentally, I think that's where a lot of people are when they are talking about this election and future elections. And um, it will be interesting to see where where we land. I tend to agree with with you on um, on the outlook. Um, and I think so much of what happens by 2025 is going to be determined by what happens in November 2022 and the and the next legislative sessions, the, the next two legislative sessions before we get to 2024. Will the rules be changed? Right. Well, you mentioned that in that in a scenario where Fincham were to win, but in a scenario, let's say in Arizona, where Lake were to win, Fincham gets in as Secretary of State and the Republicans retain the legislature, if not grow the majority. To me, well, that seems like that would be front and center, right, in the legislative session in 23, which is what are we going to do <laughs> to safeguard Arizona's electoral votes for a Republican nominee, whether that be Donald Trump or somebody else? Yeah, and it's a scenario we're all trying to game out and trying to better understand. But what happens if Katie Hobbs wins? Right. And Mark Fincham loses to Adrian Fontes, who is uh, a Democrat who served as an election official as the recorder for Maricopa County in, in 2020 and lost and conceded and, you know, perhaps becomes the new secretary of state. What happens if Chris Mays uh, wins the race in the attorney general's uh, right. side and beats out Abe Hamaday, another election denier. What happens if you have um, a Republican legislature and that slate? Will those Republican legislators even recognize and I guess reckon, recognize these people as like duly elected <laughs> officials? Yes. Because yes. when I go out and talk to voters, yeah. a lot of Republicans you say President Joe Biden, we have to have a fight about whether or not he is president and right. why I think he's president yeah. and why they think he's not. Yeah. That's that's where right. we're at. It's such a great point. Yeah, right. But but if you're if you if you're kind of on the pro-democracy side, if, if if those people in Arizona get elected and you know the United States Senate and the United States House might in the lame deck session pass the electoral uh you know college act reforms that, you know, while not perfect, may help future safeguard safeguard future elections. You know, there's reasons for optimism, um, but, but uh, you know, pretty stark divide in America these days. Well, Yvonne, thank you for your time. Uh, super helpful to understand your perspective in history in, in the state of Arizona, which, you know, my guess is, is for the rest of this decade and the next decade is going to be how we used to talk about, you know, Ohio. You know, we used to say, as goes Ohio, or sorry, we used to say, so goes Ohio, so goes the nation. I think we're going to be saying that about states like Arizona and Georgia. You know, the, the one thing we learn is the electoral college is not static. Uh, and, and, and that's not just for the presidential race. You know, control the United States Senate, United States House. Uh, Arizona is going to be such an important political state uh, over the next couple of decades. So we look forward to having you continue to uh, interpret it for us. Thanks so much. Emma Brown, campaign manager for Senator Mark Kelly. Welcome to Campaign HQ. Thank you so much for having me. Well, there's so much to talk about. We will start with, I guess it's not breaking news anymore, but the recent news uh, with uh, the court in Arizona upholding a law from the 1850s, I believe, uh, that now yeah. outlaws abortion in just about every case. Talk about, I guess, how you think that'll impact the race. And you probably already just in the last few days have seen some interesting dynamics on the ground. 
Yeah, well, first of all, I would just say that this is a devastating ruling for right. Arizona women um, and right. their ability to access basic health care and, and abortion health care. Um, Arizona is a pro-choice state, right? It is a state where the vast majority of people believe they should have the ability um, to make these decisions between a woman and her doctor, and ultimately that this this sort of decision doesn't um, belong with politicians. And as you said, David, on Friday, uh, we saw a court rule um, to reinstate a law that um, was first put on the books before Arizona was even a state. It's a territorial law. Mm -hmm. um, and that law outlaws abortions from any point in pregnancy with only the very narrow exception um, of the life of the mother. And obviously that has Arizona doctors wondering like who gets to make that determination. Um, and there are real concerns for access to abortion health care um, in Arizona now. Um, and I would I would just say that, you know, um, I think for us, we are running against someone, uh, Blake Masters, who's our opponent in this race, um, who, as you likely know, has referred to abortion as demonic um, and a religious sacrifice. And he has backed a total abortion ban with no exceptions for rape or incest, which is now the law in Arizona. Um, and we have been aggressive in this race in communicating that that is what he supports, right? You know, he literally has said that the federal government needs to step in and say that no state can permit abortion. And we believe that Arizona um, has a right to know where he stands on these issues and that that is something that is really critical for people to understand um, that those are the stakes of, of this election. And I expect that um, this will be one of the dominant issues for right. the remaining 40 days of, of the race here, um, which, you know, it has obviously been front and center since the, the Dobbs decision over the summer. Um, but, you know, I think for us, the uh, stakes have never been higher in this, in this race. Um, you know, Senator Kelly obviously supports um, a woman's right to choose, believes that um, these decisions belong between a woman and her doctor, supports the Women's Health Protection Act, right? Um, and there couldn't be a starker contrast between the two of them. And we have seen our opponent um, try to kind of weasel his way yeah. out of, um, you know, positions that he's taken. There's been a lot of coverage about uh, the scrubbing of his website, right? But I think broadly, you know, he's been really clear and consistent um, on video, right, um, at debates for the last year um, and a half of this campaign. And, and we will continue to hold him accountable for that because it's really important. Well, I'm here to talk about Masters. Uh, you know, demonic may, uh, you know, apply to him, but he's certainly a strange and dangerous dude. But on uh, abortion, you're you're correct to point out that the most important thing about this is obviously not the politics of it. It's a devastating um, situation for women all across Arizona. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you get asked this question a lot. I certainly do, which is let's look at what happened in Kansas uh, in the summer on the referendum. Now, of course, that was about one issue. It was about abortion. Right. Now, your race is obviously about a lot of things, the economy, immigration, healthcare. Mm -hmm. But to the extent that I think, and I think particularly in Senate races this year, because Mitch McConnell has said um, that they are very open to voting to ban abortion across the entire United States. Yeah. So it seems in some of these Senate races, the more that this is a race, again, you're never going to make it about one thing, but to really concentrate people's mind. And I think now in Arizona, that's probably even more the case. Uh, particularly, I think Masters, you know, when candidates try and scrub their past, and in his case, it's not even his past, it's what he believed yesterday. Mm -hmm. It never works, <laughs> right? It just draws mm -hmm. more attention to the unpopular no, position yep. of trying to run from. But talk about that. I mean, is your sense, I mean, you obviously are studying every voter in the state very carefully. But Arizona is renowned. I think people, you know, after 20 around the country have an even deeper appreciation for the Maricopa County suburbs and even the, the, the yep. suburbs outside of that. Do you think that's going to drive vote in this election? 
Yeah, it's a great yeah. question. Um, so I, I would say, I'll, I'll say a couple things about abortion specifically and the way that we we think about motivation and, um, and mobilization in, in this race. But, um, you know, I think that for a long time, people believed that, you know, it was the Democrats who stood, you know, firmly in the in the pro-choice camp and that, you know, um, that was really that was really us holding it down. But I think we have seen, especially in the last couple of years, um, as this issue has become one that's, you know, in the national landscape constantly, um, that it is really, you know, independents, um, Republican women in Arizona, by and large, believe that they should have this choice and this right. And the idea that that politicians would be taking it away from them or, you know, interfering. And I think in Arizona, I would point out that, um, you know, Arizona is the 48th state in the union. It is a deeply independent state. It has a real libertarian streak. Um, and I think that it is about, obviously, abortion health care, it, but it's also just about choice and the ability to make a choice for um, themselves. And I think Republican and independent women um, who we need in the Maricopa suburbs, obviously, who are with Senator Kelly and have been with him, um, you know, for for now two cycles. Um, they are really um, disturbed by the choice of, you know, um, obviously the Supreme Court, the the Pima Superior Court, um, Blake Masters, right? Like all of all of these events that have really, um, I think, highlighted the the choice in front of them and and the sort of stark consequences of. Um, you know, these kinds of bans, I think that they are more motivated than ever. And I think for us, you know, it is both a critical persuasion contrast message between us and, and our opponent. And also, you know, I do believe that um, younger voters, women, um, you know, people who there's typically a lot of hand wringing about, you know, drop off in in turnout in a midterm election are, are very aware of this right now um, and are paying right. attention. And it is fueling, I think, a surge in momentum, you know, at a, at a grassroots level in Arizona. And, and I believe it will be, you know, helpful for turnout. I will say that, you know, it is it is a midterm election, obviously. And so I'm sure we'll get to this. But, you know, we are taking nothing for granted in Arizona. And I think um, we will be fighting, you know, ballots drop on October 12th, and we will be fighting for every single yeah. vote. Um, and we are not assuming that, you know, any one event will create a surge, you know, base turnout electorate scenario for us that that makes this any easier. So um, well, with that caveat, that's what I would say. Well, I think everyone listening will be glad to hear you say that. No, I mean, I think, you know, you see polls all over the place all across the country. I think for the most part, they're probably overstating Democratic strength right now. So we got to remember it's a midterm. You know, you're running uh, a campaign in a very closely divided state. We've got a tough economy. We've got tough inflation. Like we have to have have some reality here. So I'm curious, you're obviously focused, you're focused like a laser on the Mark Kelly Masters race as you should be. I'm just, it is interesting because Arizona is a purple state. It's not a deep red state. Between yeah. Masters and Carrie Lake and Fincham, the secretary of state candidate. I mean, there's just a lot of bizarreness going on. And, and, and do you think that sort of you know, and it's it's obviously the abortion decision. You had the cyber ninjas down there. You talked about the Republican women in Maricopa County. It would seem to me that 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 overhang of the party in Arizona, most of the candidates who've won primaries were the most extreme choice. I mean, do you think that's a helpful dynamic? Yeah, well, I, I want to just say one thing about something that you mentioned earlier, because I think it's really yeah. important, uh, which is the the polling in this race. And, and you already said it, that you know, um, there are polls that show Senator Kelly up by 12 or 13 points yeah, right now. Right. I would just hearken back to, you know, there was a Fox News poll. I think it was September 2nd, 2020, 
that showed us 17 points up on Martha McSally. And I think a lot of people saw that and and thought, man, they are going to win Arizona by 10 points or more. And this thing came down to 78,000 votes on the Senate side and just around 10,000 votes on the presidential. Right. And right, because it's Arizona. And, you right. know, until recent years, as you noted, Arizona has been bright red. And these last two Senate races came down to razor thin margins. And, and this one will as well. And I think that, you know, um, we know in Arizona that we've got late breaking independent voters and that these races tighten significantly in late September, early October, and that most people who are undecided right now, a majority of them are probably not coming over to us. And so I do think it is really important yeah. as we're thinking about these races nationally. And, and you said it that, you know, there's a lot of really optimistic polling out there for for Democrats that people remember that there was lots of optimistic polling in 2016, too, you know, and, and we can still lose these races. And I think the danger with you know, um, a candidate like Blake Masters and candidates like Carrie Lake is this sort of perception of unelectability that, mm -hmm. you know, these people are so crazy and, you know, they've said such wild things. And like, how can a QAnon supporter in, in like Carrie Lake's case, you know, possibly <laughs> right. be elected? And and we know, right, that um, candidates who are dangerous and outrageous are elected at a statewide and a national level um, and that that is something that can happen. And I think as as a party and a larger Democratic team, it's really critical that we not take our eye off the ball or assume that these people aren't going to win. Um, so I would say that, you know, just yeah. just to start, I think that's important. Um, to the question that you asked, though, about um, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party in Arizona and like where these two these two teams are sitting, I think that there are a lot of moderate Republicans. You know, Senator Kelly actually recently, um, before the August uh, Republican primary, launched a Republicans for Kelly program, um, and it has now grown to over 100 uh, Republican leaders, elected leaders, community leaders, business leaders across the state, um, who I think have been extremely alarmed at the trajectory of the Republican Party in Arizona um, and are looking for reasonable leaders um, and people who value um, bipartisanship, right, and like bridging gaps and and working across the aisle and working with people who don't agree with them and, and you know, um, doing that. And I think that, you know, Senator Kelly, Secretary Hobbs, you know, uh, Adrian Fontes, like there are a number of Democrats running statewide right now, who I think provide a very real and important alternative. And so, you know, I would say that, um, is it helpful? Uh, I think perhaps that there is a sort of cohesive narrative out there about, you know, the trajectory of the Republican Party in Arizona and more and more independents and Republicans feeling, you know, that that is not the party that they were raised in, right? That right. is, I mean, Blake Masters has said himself, this is not the party of John McCain, you know? Um, and I think that there are a number of moderate Republicans who answer to that. Um, but I do think, you know, it is alarming and concerning. And, and a lot of these folks as well, you know, are um, people who deny the results of the 2020 election and are still talking about that. And Blake Masters and Carrie Lake um, both maintain that Trump won the 2020 election. Right. Um, and that is that is concerning, right? I think to a lot of a lot of uh, moderate Republicans and independents and people who, um, you know, might in in other years just check, you know, the right. name with an R next to it. Now, these Republicans, I understand that that's what they have to do to win primaries. But, you know, yeah. my experience has been every election is about, <laughs> you know, the current moment in the future, not the past. People do not like to relitigate. And so they're stuck in this quicksand. So I'm curious, you know, uh, first of all, do you believe the Republicans are going to get strong turnout in Arizona? 
Um, I think based on what we saw in uh, Virginia in 2021, we have to assume that we are looking at a strong Republican turnout year. Um, I think, though, that there are a number of counterweights that um, exist for us. We already talked about one of them, right? The Dobbs decision and the um, Superior Court decision in Arizona on abortion access. And so I I believe that um, we will see a high turnout year that um, I think it's an open question of who it who it benefits more, but I do believe that there, you know, typically, um, as we know historically, in a midterm year, there is a surge for the, um, you know, the party that just lost the presidential. And I think that we should not assume that that won't be the case here, is what I would say. Well, I think it's great to hear that because I, I think, you know, we saw in 16, certainly in 18, even though we had a great Democratic year, they had strong turnout in a lot of red areas. Uh, and then in 20, and, and you mentioned Virginia, like, and so for, for listeners who have not worked on a campaign, the, the sort of Bible in a campaign is your win number. How many votes do you think you need to win? And that obviously is um, uh, affected by, you know, how many votes you think the other side's going to get. And so in Emma's case, you know, the Kelly campaign is clearly planning for strong turnout, which is important. So when you think about that, I mean, I guess what are you seeing on the you mentioned there's a lot of enthusiasm, of young young people, um, a lot of that driven by uh, abortion. Are you seeing any success? You know, the Republicans did have some success along the border in Texas, less in Arizona, mm-hmm. and certainly in the southern part of Florida with increasing their vote share uh, with Latino voters. We saw some success in rural parts of the country, too, with black men. Are you seeing any uh, concerning signs there in terms of their vote share or are they kind of stuck where they traditionally have been? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I would just say, like, to zoom out on Arizona for a second, you know, I've managed races in Illinois and Virginia, and Arizona is just really different, right? It is a border state. As you noted, there yeah. are three border cities in Arizona with major ports of entry and then also countless border towns. Um, there are also, you know, we are a state where there are storied suburbs in Maricopa County outside of Phoenix, which are crucial for anybody running statewide. Um, and there's also a large multifaceted and increasingly influential Latino community in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have 22 tribal nations, right, and three right. college campuses. So it's it's really a state that, you know, I love. Um, in part, it's a really fun state to, to run a race in because you can't, there's no silver bullet, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be able to do right. a number of things well to be successful. Um, and I think for us, there is um, there is often a perception that um, the Latino community in Arizona is a monolith, which it is not. Right. Um, and also that, um, you know, it is strictly a, a place for mobilization and turnout, which it is also not, right? Mm-hmm. There are swing Latino voters who are absolutely essential for us, um, who we won, you know, nearly 70% of in 2020. And that was very critical. Um, and we also saw, you know, increased turnout, obviously, um, in the Latino electorate in 2020. And, and we're expecting to see that as well in 2022. Um, and I think something that's important to note when you're thinking about Arizona um, is that Maricopa County is one of the fastest growing counties in the United States, which just means that the um, landscape in Arizona demographically is really different than it was even in 2018, right, right when we had um, our last um, our last midterm race. And so I think I think it's really critical um, to remember that, you know, this is a persuasion program as well as a turnout program. Um, you know, and I think that Senator Kelly in 2020, uh, we outperformed President Biden with Latino voters in Arizona, um, and we continue to hold really strong margins there. And I think in my experience, Latino voters in Arizona, um, like every other voter in Arizona, are really concerned about the economy, right? They're really concerned about inflation, the cost of health care, if they're going to be able to send their kids to school. 
Um, they are, of course, you know, also concerned about the border, but that there's not, you know, I think an overcorrection sometimes that people tend to make in assuming that that is like the dominant issue, you know, um, and we have seen that um, that there are a lot of a lot of concerns that these voters have. And I think addressing all of them is is really important. Yeah. No, you make a great point. I mean, there is, you just ex- I mean, listen, any battleground state or congressional district, it's never one thing, right? It's a, it's a bunch of different things, almost like you're out there. You know, you're you're harvesting votes wherever you can get them. A few here, a few there. But that's a great example. I mean, you've got tribal communities, you've got universities and big ones. You've got obviously a massive Latino community, which is both turnout and swing. Uh, you've got, uh, ma- you know, you've got a, a significant black community as well. And then you've got obviously mm-hmm. what half the vote. What what percentage of the vote comes to Maricopa now? Fifty five. Yeah, it's about over that. 50%. Yeah. So people should remember uh, yeah. that. I mean, that is just a massive. I don't think there's no other state like it in the country mm-hmm. where that much vote uh, comes from one county. What's it like to run against someone like Masters who, you know, he is kind of a reptilian puppet of Peter Thiel, but he's also kind of willing to say and do anything, you know, scrubbing his website. I'm sure some of the ads he's running are complete lies. Like, uh, how do you make sure you pin him down uh, and make sure voters understand who he really is, not who he wants them to think he is? Yeah, I think I think it's a great question. Um, So, you know, what I would say first is that um, Blake Masters fundamentally, I think there's sometimes a um, tendency for people to hear the things that he says, you know, and be like, again, that's so absurd. You know, he's so offensive. And it's more than that, right? It's a lot more than that. It's really important that I think people realize that he's very dangerous, you know, yeah. um, and he has beliefs that are obviously very extreme, um, but he's been really consistent in them. And sometimes I think, again, as I said earlier, we run into like, it's it's almost hard to believe, you know, he's that out there and, and that extreme, but um, he is. And, and he, again, like is very competitive in Arizona and can win, um, unless we do everything we can to, to stop him. And so I think, I think for us, you know, in Arizona, there is an importance of just being very direct with people about the specific comments that he has made, um, which, as I said before, like many of them are on video, right? For example, he stood up in the major uh, Republican primary debate in 2021, 2022, and said, you know, um, maybe we should privatize Social Security, right? We've got to cut the knot. And he said that and then immediately was like, well, I don't support that, right? (laughs) And so there's a there's a um, sort of twisting and turning um, function of him that I think um, can confuse people. But ultimately, he has been very clear and very consistent, um, you know, and showing people in a plain way that isn't you know, overly produced and overly spun because we don't need to do that, right? Like voters in Arizona understand when they are watching him who he is and what he believes. And that is ultimately the crux of our contrast, you know, approach with him um, is not, you know, we don't have to spin it 20,000 ways. We can just show you a video where he says very clearly that abortion is demonic or that we should cut the knot on seniors in Arizona and, and privatize Social Security. And I think that especially in a state, right, where we are, you know, we had a Senate race in 2018, in 2020, we're now on our third consecutive Senate race in six years. There have been a lot of ads, you know, and a lot of campaigns. And people are, um, I think, a little exhausted and rightfully a little skeptical when they're seeing, you know, um, wall-to-wall political advertising, right? We began communicating in February. I'm very aware that, you know, it's it's a lot of communication. And so I think that using 
communication that really relies on him, you know, and relies on his words and his actions um, is really important. And ultimately, too, right, he wants to change the conversation off of, you know, whatever, um, whatever thing that he has just said that he's being held accountable for. But part of our role is making sure that we have a disciplined and focused message that isn't scattershot and changing with every public poll and changing with every news event, right? But that we are focused on the things that really matter to people um, and really addressing what Arizona is facing right now and, and why he is such a dangerous choice for it. Well, I'm glad you remind people, despite all that, that he could win. I mean, he almost is like if there was a video game that was, yeah. you know, let's let's play center race, which I guess no one would play. That's why there isn't one. But if there was, you know, he'd be like a candidate that was created. Like, let's think of the villain who's like owned yeah. by some big, you know, gazillionaire who wants to basically tear the country down, you know, and, yeah. and really gut it has all these unpopular positions, despite that, uh, you know, he could win, uh, which is which is so incredibly scary. I'm curious. So uh, if you could just talk to folks about uh, you obviously have Election Day like we have everywhere and even in Arizona, mm -hmm. which is a, a heavy uh, state in terms of voting by mail. You have a healthy Election Day vote, but a lot of that comes in mail. So just talk about how without revealing any state secrets you may have planned, but like, you know, ballots drop in mid-October. So, yeah. you know, the, the way you have to structure your campaign is very different than a state where 80, 90 percent of the vote happens on Election Day. Right. I mean, you basically yeah. have to peak <laughs> as those ballots come out, uh, not entirely because you got to, you know, keep some momentum going. But just talk about as a campaign manager, how you construct a campaign uh, with those various deadlines. Yeah, it's a great question. So I'll just back up and say, you know, in 2020, um, we built the largest coordinated campaign, which is for listeners who maybe don't know, it's an organizing and ground game organization um, that also does voter protection, right, and a number of other functions. Um, so we built the largest coordinated campaign that Arizona had ever seen. It's called Mission for Arizona. Um, and we built it in the middle of a pandemic. And I think very importantly, um, it never turned off, right? So that is like one of the, you know, Senator Kelly has been um, in the Senate now for, I think, 21 months. So we've had a pretty short, pretty short run before we had to turn around and uh, and run again. And there are a lot of challenges associated with that. But one benefit to it um, is that we were able to roll over all of our ground game and infrastructure and some really talented people that we had on board in 2020. And they got started in early 2021, right? You know, I came on in early 2021. We started our coordinated campaign last summer. We had people on the ground talking to Arizonans in English and in Spanish. We also, I think very importantly, we got three whole semesters with students on campuses. Most organizing programs mm -hmm. that I've ever been a part of are usually there for the fall of the election yeah. year. You know, they get to campus, they're like trying to find their way around and then like we're voting, right? And we got people, uh, we got students, we got campus organizations for three semesters. So I think that that is one huge benefit that we had. And you just said something very important, which is that, you know, um, ballots drop in Arizona on October 12th. 80% of the state votes by mail, mm -hmm. which means that 80% of Arizona voters will be receiving their ballots um, by mail on October 12th. So we sort of think about this as like, we need to have said everything that we need to say, right. you know, <laughs> and keep saying it <laughs> by, right. you know, October 12th and beyond. Um, and so, you know, part of our program um, had to do with really aggressive and early communication, obviously, um, both on the positive side, on the contrast side um, with, with Senator Kelly and Blake Masters. And also I think, you know, front-loading an organizing program that was very aggressive from day one. You know, we just launched a huge um, campus program, you know, for the fall of the election year when uh, it was called Welcome Week in Arizona when, um, when students returned to our major three campuses, you know, and that has a lot of different components 
um, to it because students obviously vote not typically by mail, right? Um, they don't get their ballots mm-hmm. by mail. And so those are in-person voters. And so the sort of tactics based on the community, really important and it really varies. Um, so for example, you know, we obviously have a traditional canvassing program um, that's going to go door to door as soon as ballots have been have been dropped, um, making sure that people understand you know, who's on the ballot, how to get their ballot back, how to vote early in person if they want to do that. But we also have constituency-specific organizing and turnout programs that are geared towards students, Latino voters, tribal voters. Uh, Yesterday, we actually launched a TikTok influencer program on campuses, which, you know, is a little bit beyond me, but very cool. And I think- Which you didn't have to have like back in 2016, but that's like a critical part of campaigns now, right? TikTok. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, And so, you know, I think something that's important for us um, is that as many people vote as early as possible. So you likely know this, but in the sort of typical trajectory of Arizona early vote periods, we see, um, you know, our highest propensity, you know- um, most reliable turnout voters voting first. And then we got a lot of people who hang on to their ballots. And so most of our job for the month of October will be chasing them and making sure that we are driving as many ballots in as early as possible um, inside that early vote period. um, And that ultimately, right, you know, anybody who's still hanging on to their ballot can always drop it off, um, you know, running up to the end of election day. So um, it is a unique, um, it is a unique state in that way. And the other thing I would say about it is typically it means that we're counting ballots for longer yeah. um, just based on the way that that the state votes. So in 2020, for example, you know, we were in a very close election, two close elections, actually. But on the presidential side, right, we were all still like sitting there with our whiteboards counting ballots outstanding in, in counties like three days after the election, which is different, again, than other states that that have a sort of different voting pattern. Right. So that's kind of a 10,000 foot view on how the state votes. Better than California. But yeah, everyone should be patient if these races are close. We're not going to know on election night. It is interesting. So even as crazy as Lake and Fincham and Masters are, they're not maligning vote by mail, right? Because they understand that's how most people vote. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. They're not maligning that, but then they're saying somehow they're going to be counted unfairly, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we have seen we have actually seen like coordinated Republican attacks on the vote by mail system, um, you know, in the state of Arizona in the last couple of years. And we've been able to hold a lot of those off. But, um, you know, I think that it is it has certainly been a focus for Republicans um, in Arizona looking to change the way that the state votes and, and force everyone to vote only on Election Day. But right. Like we have voted this way in Arizona for decades and right. decades and we do it well. Um, and, you know, our elections, again, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't point out, are certified by both Republicans and Democrats, right? They are, you know, safe and secure and um, accurate. And I think that, um, you know, we have seen, as you have already said, like a real assault on um, not only, you know, access to the ballot box, but also just, you know, the very basic right. underpinning structure of our elections. And Arizona, you know, was was sort of ground zero for the Stop the Steal uh, movement that started in, you know, the tail end of 2020, and it's still present today and, and a real problem. Yeah, no, it's well, if we're the democracy on January 21st, 2025, I'll, I'll feel better about things. But that's very much in question. I'm curious. I have some have, faith, David. <laughs> no, so do I. Well, listen, because of what you and, and your colleagues are doing around the country, but uh, people should not underestimate uh, the threat. So I'm curious, just, you know, you've worked in Ohio, uh, Virginia, uh, Illinois, Talk about, and obviously you've spent now a really important time in Arizona. You've kind of become a, a, a quick expert in Arizona politics and its voters. But talk about just as a campaign runner, how those different experiences have benefited you as you're running a race like this. 
Yeah, it's a great question. So I um, so I started my career as an organizer um, in suburban Cleveland. Um, and I think that for me now as a manager, um, you know, with a large and Senate races have obviously really swelled over the last um, couple of years. And so we have a large program, large budget, large staff. And I think, you know, I am really attentive as a campaign manager now in 2022 um, of how the choices that we make and the messages that we are choosing um, affect organizers, right? And how our message is making it out, you know, into the conversation that is had with a person at a door and how impactful that is and how critical it is that, you know, all axes of the campaign are working together. Um, and so I think that, you know, I very much believe that this race is a field margin, you know, um, I would actually contend that it's maybe even a voter protection margin, right? Mm -hmm. Those two programs are really, really critical that they work together. And I think we are very focused on, obviously, in the month of October, but in all months, you know, how our organizing program um, is mobilizing people and how it is being creative and scrappy and, and ultimately, you know, adaptive to the different kinds of electoral landscapes that we find ourselves in. And so I, I think that my time in Ohio... Um, you know, and, and as an organizer really helped me with that. And then ultimately, you know, I managed um, state house and congressional races before I managed um, a Senate race. And so, you know, I was at one point, um, you know, our whole compliance team and I was, you <laughs> know, um, our finance director. And, you know, I've, I've had to basically put together every small piece of a campaign um, from the ground up. And that has, I think, helped me um, understand just all all the pieces that go into it and ultimately how to scale it to to be bigger and bigger. And so I think that, um, you know, managing programs across the country um, and especially state ledge and, and congressional programs, I think, set me up um, well for for this role that I have now. And, and ultimately, like I, I got to be the deputy campaign manager on the 2020 race um, in Arizona, which mm. meant, you know, I got an entire cycle to understand this state um, and be there for the first the first round here, um, and and then you know was thrilled to obviously get to run the the reelection. Um, well, it sounds like your background means you're still kind of a player coach. You you're uh, you know uh, it sounds like there were some roles in your life where you were kind of the entire campaign, but even with you know a large staff that you now have a combination. No, I think your organizer point is important because several times in my career and I was running races, you know, you do polling and you do message testing and you're convinced you know at headquarters the messages that are going to move voters, whether that be positive, contrast, or negative. And organizers would be out on the ground knocking on doors of their volunteers and they'd report back, hey, yeah. it ain't working. And, you yeah. know, you have to check yourself because you, well, I don't know what you think, but we've done all this polling and we know how to pick the lock. And what really matters is what they say, <laughs> which is, yeah. no, it ain't working. So you got to go back to the laboratory and figure something else out. So it's it's really important to have a manager, I think, have that kind of relationship uh, and appreciation for the organizers. Well, listen, Emma, thank you for your time. More importantly, thank you for all you're doing to to protect the people of Arizona, protect our democracy, and we'll all be wishing you well. Uh, I guess really in, in two weeks, people are going to start voting. <laughs> uh, okay. So we can't say in the next, you know, several weeks, but uh, that's really the beginning of an intense process. So best of luck, you know, bringing home a victory for uh, really such a special leader in our country, Senator Mark Kelly. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, David. And, of course. Um, it's really great. Yep. Thanks, Evan.